Throughout the three-decade history of the World Wide Web, different web browsers have battled for supremacy. In this episode, we talk about the battles and how we got to today. Welcome to Copac Explained Software, the podcast where we make computing intelligible. Okay, Dave. So this week, we're going to talk about the browser wars. Um, so I guess a place to start is, what do we mean when we say browser wars? We mean how over the last three decades, different web browsers have competed with one another for market share, and sometimes very, very fiercely. We've also had eras within the browser wars where one browser has really reigned supreme, and we'll talk about those different errors today, and we'll also talk about how one web browser kind of led to another, and how we ended up with the web browsers that we have today, namely Google Chrome, Mozilla Firefox, Microsoft's Edge, and Apple Safari. So let's start at the beginning. What was the first web browser? The first web browser was created by Tim Berners-Lee, who is the creator of the World Wide Web. And if you want to know more about how web browsers work and about how the web works, go look at our previous episode, how does the web work, which I'm going to link to in the show notes. So we're not going to explain how a web browser works today. We're going to assume you already know that. We're going to assume you already know what HTML, CSS, and JavaScript are. And we're just going to talk about the web browsers themselves. So Tim Berners-Lee created the first web browser. It was actually called World Wide Web um, back in 1990, 1991 era on a Step machine. Next was a company created by Steve Jobs between his two different stints at Apple, and it actually became the technology that was used to create modern Apple. And so this was not a very popular machine, the, the Next machines, and the operating system that they ran, Next Step, was only used by some people in finance and academia and government a little bit. It was not a widely used machine. However, it was powerful in that it enabled somebody to create software with a lot less effort than a lot of the competing systems at the time due to its object-oriented approach when object-oriented programming was still kind of new. And so this was the machine that Tim Berners-Lee used to create this new web browser, but obviously creating that web browser for that really niche platform, it was not something that was going to be widely adopted. And he was working at CERN, which is a physics laboratory in Europe, so he wasn't working for a commercial company or a commercial entity at the time. So at the beginning, the first web browser was very much a niche product. So how does it go from being this niche product to being something that we're all using? So he published open standards for the different elements of the web, the HTTP protocol, the HTML standard. He published these and other people adopted them and created their own web browsers and their own web servers. And there were several different groups working on these early web browsers, but probably the most important was over at the NCSA. And the NCSA is the National Center for Supercomputing Applications. The NCSA is actually a unit of the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And one of the famous people that's still with us today in terms of his fame and influence on the tech industry who was working on an early browser there was named Mark Andreessen, and he'll come back into the story again a little bit later. But anyway, they created a web browser called Mosaic. Mosaic was not some niche browser just for Next Step. It, was act it actually came out for Windows, it came out for the Mac, it came out for various flavors of Unix. 
So this was the first widely used web browser, was NCSA Mosaic, created by a team led by Mark Andreessen at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. So Mosaic is the ancestor of the web browsers that we're using today. That's right. It's the web browser actually that leads to all of the modern web browsers that we're going to talk about later on. And there really is a direct connection. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. So after Mosaic, what's the next web browser that comes into prominence? So the thing is that NCSA is actually a pseudo kind of government entity. And so they're not able to commercialize what they're working on effectively. Now, Mark Andreessen seems to be quite a prodigy, and there's a lot of excitement around whether or not he could go and start a company around developing a web browser. And he goes and partners with Jim Clark, who had formerly been of SGI, and they create a startup called Netscape. And Netscape produces the first commercial web browser that's really adopted much more widely even than Mosaic was. And Netscape becomes a really hot startup company around this first exciting web browser. And they're very, very successful. And over the next couple of years, and we're talking about the 1994-1995 timeframe, Netscape really comes to dominate the early web. And it's really what popularizes the web, even much more so than Mosaic did. So we're talking about Netscape Navigator right now? We're talking about Netscape Navigator. That was the name of the browser. Netscape was the name of the company. So Netscape Navigator's got all the market share. They're on top of the world. But then someone else comes along. And it's Microsoft. But it's Microsoft by way of another browser startup called Spyglass. And Spyglass was actually founded by some of the other people working at Mosaic originally. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing was, when they created Netscape and they created Spyglass, they had to be very careful not to reuse any of the source code from the original Mosaic because they could get in trouble for that, of course, right? And so these were actually clean room implementations. So although Mosaic had kind of been the seed that led to the flowering of Spyglass and Netscape, the people who worked at Mosaic and then went to work at these other companies were starting again from scratch when they created these new browsers. But they had been influenced, I'm sure, by their original work at Mosaic. So Microsoft wants to enter the web. They see the internet is going to be a big thing. They see the web is going to be a big thing, and they want a piece of the action. And what year are we talking we're about We're talking right 1995. Okay. So Microsoft licensed technology from Spyglass to create Microsoft Internet Explorer 1.0. So in a sense, that original mosaic kind of led to both Netscape Navigator and Microsoft Internet Explorer. So now Netscape Navigator and Internet Explorer are competing with one another. They're competing with one another. And what Microsoft does that Netscape can't exactly do in the same way is they give Internet Explorer away for free. Uh, they can do that because they don't need it as their main revenue driver. Netscape tries to diversify into more of the server side and into more of being a platform and a portal. But over the years, once Microsoft starts giving away Internet Explorer, it's very hard for Netscape to continue to compete. And over time, Microsoft starts with not that much market share and they just keep chomping away at Netscape till by the end of the 1990s, Netscape has really, for all intents, been defeated in what people call the first browser wars. Now, Microsoft got into a lot of trouble for doing this because it was seen as monopolistic behavior by uh, the U.S. government's Department of Justice. And Microsoft actually got sued 
for bundling Internet Explorer together with Windows. And that was the basis of the antitrust lawsuit against Microsoft in the 1990s, which had not a great outcome for them. But obviously, they survived and became an even much, much larger company after that. So Microsoft really uses their their own software that they're already shipping out on their computers and are have a lot has a lot of market share to be a vehicle for giving out Internet Explorer. Right, exactly. And so Internet Explorer becomes the dominant browser. In fact, by the early 2000s, so we're talking like the 2002 period, um, it actually gets to the point where Microsoft Internet Explorer version 6 has over 90% market share. And so there really isn't much competition anymore. It's really like either your website works in Internet Explorer or it doesn't really work for most users. And, you know, that's an important point that we haven't gotten to yet, which is that there were incompatibilities between Internet Explorer and Netscape Navigator. So there would be some websites that would work well in one but would not work well in the other. And while the HTML standard was an open standard and over time there would be additional open standards like CSS and JavaScript, they never would be applied perfectly equally in both browsers. And so there was some parts of the standard that might be left open to interpretation a little bit, and there could be differences there. And then there might be some parts of the standard that don't even get implemented by one browser or the other browser. And then there also would sometimes be additional proprietary technologies, and Microsoft was especially notorious for this, that would be included as well. So, for example, while JavaScript eventually became the dominant scripting language and really today the only client-side scripting language for the web, in the early days, there was also a version of what was called VBScript that came out from Microsoft, scans for Visual Basic Script, which was specific just to Internet Explorer. And so if you wrote your website using VBScript, it wouldn't work in Netscape Navigator. That's just one example, but there were several technologies like this. And this was part of a strategy at Microsoft at the time known as embrace and extend, kind of derisively known as that. The idea was Microsoft would embrace open standards sometimes, but then they would extend them with their own proprietary additions that would make their version incompatible with other versions, whereas other people's stuff would still work in theirs. They would embrace the standard, so they would work with the standard, but then they would add to it. And they did this not only in Internet Explorer, but they did this in a lot of their other products as well. So anyway, Microsoft, by the early OOs, has totally dominated the market, and Netscape actually ended up getting purchased by AOL. And in the process of getting purchased by AOL, they went and they open-sourced their Netscape Navigator code, and it became a new project known as Mozilla. Internet Explorer has taken over market share, is really winning the web browser war, or the, I guess the first one. Now, Netscape doesn't really exist anymore. It's moved on to become Mozilla. Right. It's moved on to become Mozilla. And Mozilla, while it was an interesting and cool initiative that they were trying to build an open source competitor to Microsoft Internet Explorer, it took them a very long time to get anywhere. Uh, and at, this, at that time, Microsoft is gulping up more and more market share. Of course, Windows is a dominant operating system at the time. So the fact that they're bundling Microsoft Internet Explorer with Windows means that by default, Internet Explorer is going to be the dominant browser. But it even happens on the Mac side. Microsoft actually struck a deal with Apple, which was almost going out of business at the time, and we're talking about the mid-90s, around 1997, that said, you know what, uh, we're going to invest in Apple, and we're going to keep making Microsoft Office for the Mac, which was something that was really essential for them. 
And part of that deal was also that you're gonna make Internet Explorer for the Mac the default web browser. Mm -hmm. So they were just using every angle to, to have complete dominance over the industry. And Mozilla was just not coming up with something that was exciting enough to enough people fast enough to really compete with Internet Explorer. But something would come out of Mozilla that would eventually make an impact. So what is the what comes out of Mozilla? What's the next browser? They decide they need something slimmer than the Mozilla suite. The what Mozilla was building was a combined client that was a web browser, a website builder, a um a chat client, an email client all rolled into one package. And then some people within Mozilla said, "You know what? We should really just concentrate just on the browser part. Let's make a really slim down uh component that really can be used as something that is standalone and is going to be a lot faster than kind of this bloated, for lack of a better word, really mess of the time, because it was very, very slow on most computers, the versions that Mozilla was putting out, um, that, that really could compete with Internet Explorer. And what that was was Firefox. So Firefox came out of Mozilla, and Firefox did become a real competitor in Internet Explorer. Um, it, it didn't ever become the same level of popularity as Netscape Navigator had been when Netscape was dominant in the mid-1990s. But Firefox got to the point where by some metrics it had like 30% global market share. So it became a viable competitor to Internet Explorer. So right now the major players in the browser arena are Internet Explorer and Firefox. Right. And I should put a date on this. We're talking about in the mid-2000s, that first decade of the 21st century. So around 2005, 2006, by that point, Firefox becomes a real viable competitor to Internet Explorer. And Firefox had come out, I think, in 2002. Well, Internet Explorer does not have the market share anymore. No, because a lot's happened since the mid-2000s. Yeah. So who comes onto the scene next? The next that comes onto the scene is not one that ever becomes dominant, but is an important player, which is Apple Safari. So I mentioned how Microsoft had made this deal with Apple to make Internet Explorer the default browser. But that when that deal got to kind of, I think it was like a five-year deal and it got to the end and Apple had transitioned from the classic Mac OS to Mac OS X, which was a whole new operating system. And Microsoft kept coming out with a couple versions of Internet Explorer for that new operating system. But you know what? They were kind of ending support and Apple needed a strategy because they couldn't have no like viable web browser on their platform. And there was Firefox coming out, but they wanted something that they had more control over and could ensure its long-term existence. And so in 2003, they come out with their web browser Safari for the Mac. And this was actually built by some people who had previously worked on the Firefox team. So again, you see this legacy where everything can be connected backwards. You can actually go all the way back to Mosaic. But Anyway, so these, these folks at Apple that come out with Safari, uh, now we actually have three browsers. So now we have three major browsers. And there are other browsers out there at the time, things like Opera that some people might have heard of. Um, and there's still versions of Mozilla's main suite coming out. But the main browsers at the time are really Internet Explorer, Firefox, and Apple Safari. And Apple Safari at the beginning is limited just to Mac users. Yeah, what makes Apple Safari uh, an important player um, if it doesn't have much of a market share, what was something unique or what was something that it did that impacted the browsers? Yeah, and I should mention when they built Safari, they actually built it out of a rendering engine called KHTML that came from the KDE project. So again, they were standing on the shoulders of a previous project, just like Firefox came out of the Mozilla suite and both Internet Explorer and Netscape came out of Mosaic. 
Um, Apple Safari, the people who worked on it came out of Firefox and they were using some previous open source code from KHTML. So they weren't actually starting from scratch. But the reason that Safari becomes important is because a few years later, the iPhone launches. And the iPhone launches in 2007, and the main way to develop apps for the iPhone, the App Store actually only comes out in 2008, is actually to build web apps. So suddenly, there's all this excitement around the iPhone. The iPhone's web browser is Safari, and so suddenly Safari actually becomes a semi-important browser. So now we've got these three main browsers. Who starts taking the lead, or is there someone new that comes along? Well, then yet another competitor comes onto the scene. In 2008, Google Chrome comes out. And again, Google's whole destiny is tied to the web. So this is a little different than Apple, but they still feel like Apple that they need to have some kind of control over their place in the browser space, so to speak. And they actually build off of WebKit which is Safari's rendering engine. So Safari built out of KHTML originally, and now Chrome is getting built out of WebKit, which is coming from Safari. So it's kind of like Safari now seeded Chrome, and you can still do this whole trajectory Mm -hmm. back to all these earlier browsers, Mm -hmm. so they're all connected. But Chrome comes out in 2008, and over the next few years, it quickly becomes quite popular. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, there's another kind of battle going on, which is there's continues to be... Uh, battles over standards. And so back in the 1990s, we had big incompatibility sometimes between Netscape Navigator and Internet Explorer. There continues to be issues with compatibilities into the OOs and into the 10s. And what is really the impetus for a new standard is actually the iPhone, because a lot of multimedia development on the web is happening through the Adobe Flash plugin around this time. And the iPhone, they say for battery life reasons, but maybe for some other reasons too, doesn't include Flash. So the only way to develop multimedia applications for Safari on the iPhone is to use the HTML standard. And so they want to have a more rich HTML standard, and they also want it to be more evenly applied across all the browsers. So there's a working group that gets together to create version 5 of the HTML standard. And this new version, it has enough features and encompasses enough multimedia applications that it can actually replace the Flash plugin eventually. Okay. So what happens to Internet Explorer? Why why aren't they just keeping, you know, their lead in market share? Yeah, so they had gotten a little bit stale actually around the OOs period. Um, the the early OOs period. And they stuck on version six for quite a long time. And at, they, they were just dominating the market, so they stopped kind of investing, some people say, as much as they should have. But at the same time, they really are getting some pretty agile competitors. And then mobile with Safari and then later on with, uh, with Android's browser as well are, is really making some, a major impact. And they don't have any place there. There is no Internet Explorer for iPhone. There is no Internet Explorer for Android. And so the fact that these mobile platforms are rising is actually also putting a dent into Internet Explorer's dominance at the same time that Firefox is on the desktop and later to a lesser extent Safari is, and then to a bigger extent again Google Chrome is. So they're getting attacked kind of from all sides, both on mobile and on desktop. So, and they're standing still too much. They're not evolving enough. They're not, they're not doing enough to excite web developers as well as users. All right. So Internet Explorer is fading away. Uh, and these 
browsers that work better for on mobile devices are taking some prominence and Google Chrome is really taking a lot of market share. Right. And Chrome comes out in 2008 and they're actually working cooperatively with Apple on WebKit for the first five years of Google Chrome. So they, they took WebKit, they were using it in Chrome. It was based on WebKit. And then in 2013, they decide, you know what, For they claim there were some technical reasons and they're kind of beyond the scope of our podcast to go into. But they also had, I'm sure, some political reasons as well because Android and iOS were such fierce competitors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they actually forked WebKit and turned it into their own version called Blink. And so now they still might sometimes work cooperatively, but now they're actually working on separate projects. Mm-hmm. So Apple continues to work on WebKit, and there are some other companies that were involved in WebKit as well, including Nokia. But um, And then Google is working on their own version called Blink. And that's where we're at today. Those are the two dominant browser engines today are Apple's WebKit and Google's Blink. And web engines, those are the... Wait. Or what powers these browsers. Right. And they also sometimes power third-party browsers as well. So another browser, for example, one for Linux, can go and take WebKit and use it as the basis for building Mm -hmm. another web browser. Same thing with Blink. Um, And a lot of Google's work on Chrome, the web browser built around Blink, is an open-source project as well called Chromium. And so... This is kind of the dominant browsers today with Chrome really being number one by far on the desktop. And then on mobile, it just depends. Are you using an iPhone or are you using an Android device? If you're using an iPhone, by default, you're using Safari. Um, and Apple doesn't actually allow other browser engines on their platform. So when you use Firefox for iOS or you use Chrome for iOS, it's actually using WebKit underneath the surface. Um, on the Android side, it's more open. But at the same time, most iOS users, the vast majority, are using Safari. And on the Android side, you know, Chrome and the Android browser uses Blink as its, as its engine. We're really on the Blink world on that side. And then on the desktop, what's happened is Chrome has come to dominate on all three platforms, on Mac, on Windows, and also on Linux. And Microsoft for a long time, was kind of stagnant. They did come out with a successor to Internet Explorer called Edge with a new rendering engine. It never really caught on. And what they've done just in the last year is they've actually started to use Google's Chromium project as the basis for the current versions of Microsoft Edge. And so that's another way that Google's engine is actually dominating. And if you look at market share statistics today, depending on the one that you look at, but uh, Google tends to have something like 70% share in browsers today. So that's not quite as far as Internet Explorer got when it was uh, at 90-something percent share, but that's still really, really, really high. Um, And that means that what's happening today is the same thing that was happening back in the early 00s, where websites will be made just for Chrome in the same way that back then they were made just for Internet Explorer. And some people feel this is pretty dangerous because it might lead to another situation where we don't have real competition. So we can actually get to a place where web developers are just developing programs for Chrome, and that means that Google's lock on the market is really complete. Um, And if that happens, that's really unfortunate because I think when we've had a vibrant competition competitive market in the browser wars, it's been better for consumers. 
uh, when you just have one company that's really dominating it, like Microsoft did in the early 00s, the web tends to stagnate a little bit. And I think another uh, maybe challenge with one being in charge is now is just when we think about our privacy and how much we're doing on the web and using our web browser, that if there is only one and that isn't only not one, the only option for folks, that can lead to some sticky situations. Absolutely. I think that Google, as we know, makes the vast majority of its revenue, depending on the statistic you look at, 80 to 90% from advertising. And to make really well-targeted ads, they need to track some of your usage of the web, right? And so their incentive is not really there to block your tra- to, to keep your privacy in the same way that a company that's business model is not based on advertisements is. So Mozilla Firefox, for example, has pretty nice um, tracking prevention built in. And the latest version of Safari has such extensive tracking prevention built in that there's actually fear from companies that make their money out of advertising, such as Facebook and Google, that it's going to lead to decreases in revenue for them because iOS users by default now have this new version of Safari that prevents so much tracking. So we need to think about how do these companies make their money and are their interests aligned with us when we use their web browser? Uh, So personally, I'll just say that um, I think that it's not great that Google Chrome is dominating the browser market. And if I were you and you're out there and listening to this, give Firefox a chance again. If you're on the Mac, maybe try out Safari. But Firefox is not only coming from a, um, a place of being a nonprofit. So Firefox is made by Mozilla, which is actually a nonprofit. But as well, it also is um, multi-platform. So you can, just like Chrome is, you can use it on Mac or Windows or Linux, and they have mobile versions as well. And it also is open source. So that you can, if you want to know what they're doing with your data, you, you could look in the code, but you don't have to be a programmer because you can trust that there's other people that are able to look at the code and see what's really happening behind the scenes. Now, Chrome is built on the Chromium open source project, but the version of Chrome that most of us use is an enhanced proprietary version. So it is built out of an open source project, but the final version that we use is not usually the open source version. Is there anything else we should know about the browser wars? Well, I think they're really going to be interesting over the next few years because I think that the public is becoming more and more aware of some of these issues, and we'll see if that actually changes consumer behavior. But what we know from the Microsoft-dominant era back with Internet Explorer 6 is that actually most consumers tend to just do what's easiest for them. So so we'll see. And some people feel that, therefore, the government needs to get involved. Um, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, but um, it will be interesting to see how it plays out. All right. Well, thanks for listening to us. We really appreciate having you with us. Rebecca, how can people get in touch with us on Twitter? So we're at Kopec Explains, K-O-P-E-C-E-X-P-L-A-I-N-S. And don't forget to leave us a review on your podcast player of choice, whether that's a little star on Overcast or you leave us an actual full written review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Even if you just follow us, it really does help get more people to know about our show. So we really appreciate it and we look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for listening.